Our Lady of Guadalupe, a talk by Mr. Dennis Gaetano, G-A-E-T-A-N-O. It is on the, um, what is the channel name? It's very hard to find. Let's see. Oh, come on, please work. Thank you, please. Dan, Dan Bruski. Ah, I can go with that. Thanks, Dan. Here's a brewski to you, too. Thank you. Uh, give A talk given December 9th, 2015. And this inside a Catholic church that looks kind of like a St. Jude. Reminds me of the St. Jude I used to go to. Good enough. Oh, sorry. St. John the Baptist. St. John the Baptist, Savage, Minnesota. Savage. Y'all gonna love this. I love this talk. I haven't finished it yet. 2015 he gave it, December 9th. So let's start our evening with prayer, as we should always start everything we do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, look down upon us and bless us this evening as we talk and explain and explore the incredible facts of Our Lady Guadalupe and her apparitions to Juan Diego. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds to hear the way you would have us hear, that I may speak the way you would have me speak, so that we can all get an increased understanding of Our Lady and how it can help grow our spirituality and our love for the Church. We ask this through of you, Father, through your Son, Jesus, through the intercession of Our Lady of Guadalupe and St. Juan Diego. Amen. Father, amen. And the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen. So we're here to talk to you about Our Lady of Guadalupe. Now, what I want to do, because it's very, it's easier, I think, to see on this slide, is show you a couple of things that just whet your appetite. This is the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And right over here, right across her arm, you see this? Okay, if you have eyes to see, you just Google it, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and you'll see it. Um, it I can't explain it to you. He's going to try, but here we go. Right here. Take a look at that. Don't look too deeply, but just take a look. Basically, it's the one you see of Mary, and she has, it's almost like she's standing in front of a clamshell, kind of one of those Venus things, but she's not naked. She has a blue mantle on. Um, this blue mantle is full of beautiful stars. She has her hands clasped in prayer. She looks like Gunyam that we did yesterday, right? Gunyam Posat, right? Gwansam Posat. Gwansiying, right? Gwansiying. Anyways, Burasatpa, right? Anyways, she's in that same position, except instead of a lotus. Oh my gosh, I didn't even notice this before. Instead of a lotus, she's standing on the devil. Exactly. All right, here we go. Look at that. Tell me what you think that looks like right there. So her hands are clasped in prayer, like you say an amen. And on her left, her left, there is a bracelet. I heard it over here. A crucifix. A crucifix. Now look on her arm. See, this is the up and down. This is the going across. Jesus' head. 
This is his uh, wrap around his... So basically, it looks like it's a bracelet if you zoom in, but if you zoom out, you'll see it's, she has a rosary just hanging off her wrist, and the, you know, the cross of your rosary um, is positioned where it's right around, it looks like the crucifix is a bracelet around her wrist, but really it's part of the rosary. Waist, and his knee, Jesus' head. This is his uh, wrap around his waist and his knees coming down. So already an image of the crucifixion on the image of Our Lady Guadalupe. Now, in the time when she appeared, they didn't have a written language. They didn't use letters. They had what they called codices or a codex. Everything was done in pictures. So it's kind of like what you might know of the Chinese or the Japanese, all those little figures. I need to be able to find this. All right, this is marked at 213 timestamp. Oh, man, I need to, I, I did a lot of research into this already, but, and I started with, it took me to Hebrew, it took me to Greek. <laughs> I'm still on alpha, dude. Man. Figures are actually pictures, right? Or hieroglyphics in Egypt. These were pictures that they would communicate with. And this image of Our Lady, miraculously given to us by her, is a collection of pictures so that when they saw it, they immediately understood. And I'll share with you some, but not all, of those things that are on her image. But I'm really going to talk to you about this story, a man, a woman, and a flower. Of course, the woman is Our Lady... Juan, Juanito, you're going to love this part. Guadalupe, and the man is St. Juan Diego, and the flower is the Castilian oh, Diego. rose. Again. Let me give you a summary of what we're going to do. We're going to do this little history of Mexico, talk about the Aztecs and Cortez, a Spanish conquistador that came to the New World. We're going to talk about the apparitions of Our Lady with Juan Diego, and Juan Bernardino, the image of Our Lady, because it's very scientific. It's been studied now for almost 500 years, and no one can explain it. And, of course, the miracles that have been associated with this image. So it started back in the first century, 40 A.D. St. James the Apostle, St. James the Greater, who was the older brother of John, right? James and John, you always hear it together. Peter and Andrew, James and John. James and John were brothers. They were fishermen like Peter and Andrew. Well, James the Greater went to Spain. And sometimes you hear about the way. The Santiago de Compostela, which is where his body is, is a city in Spain. And the Camino de Santiago or all the roads that he traveled trying to convert the people of the Iberian Peninsula to Christianity. And in the year 40, he was in a town called Saragossa, named after Augustus Caesar. We call it Saragossa today. It was actually Caesar Augustus. Caesar! While he was there, he was doubting his ability to succeed. And Mary appeared to him. Two angels brought Mary to him and put a pillar in the ground and sat, stood Mary on the pillar. 
She was carrying a statue of herself with the child Jesus in her arms on the statue. And she said to James, James, don't worry. Probably called him Jimmy, I think. Jimmy, don't worry. These people will Remember do focus great on the things family, uh, my son. Jimmy. The, the pillar went right into the earth. Do you know that they can't find the bottom of it? The angels put it there and they can't find the bottom. It's amazing. You can go and see that pillar today and they have a place where you can touch it and kiss yep. it. Well, now she stood on up. this pillar look and she up. said that to St. James. These people will do great things for my son. Then in the early or late 13th century, I believe it was, when the Moors had invaded Europe and they were taken over Spain, there were lots of battles. The armies always had images of Our Lady, an image given to the Bishop of Seville that was carved by St. Luke, right, as a gift, was in jeopardy of being lost if the Moors, if the Muslims took over, because they desecrated everything that was Catholic at the time. They would burn the churches, they would ruin the statues, so they buried it with all of the documentation about what it was and where it was and how it got there. And now, many years later, 600 years later, in this 12th century, or 13th century, a farmer by the name of Gil Cordero was beginning to get apparitions of Mary. And in one of these apparitions, she said, go and get the priests and dig right here on this site. And so they did. And eventually they unearthed this statue and everything about it. So they built a chapel. And they called it, because of the nearby river, the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Now, it's not the same Our Lady of Guadalupe as we know, but it was Our Lady of Guadalupe in Extremadura, Spain. This became a very famous place. The king and queen of Spain, when Saint, when um, Ferdinand II married Isabella I, they united the Aragon with the Castilian, and they created Spain what we now know as the country of Spain. And they were the first time a king and queen had exactly the same powers. The king Holy wasn't family. any more important or didn't have any more power than the queen. They were a good Catholic family, a good Catholic marriage, and they shared everything equally. And they're the ones that would go to this shrine as well. Generals, navigators, Christopher Columbus... They would all go to this shrine in the late 1400s. In 1486, Christopher Columbus met the king and queen and said, I have this plan to go to India, but I'm not going to go the land route. I'm going to go the sea route. I'm going to go west and travel all the way around to come to India. Why was he going to do that? A lot of people think it was because he was in search of new trade. If he, he wanted to get more land. No. Christopher Columbus was a third order Franciscan. And after reading Isaiah, he felt he was called to go and convert souls. To go to the ends of the earth. And he knew that at one time when they first started introduce Christianity to India, they had asked the Pope to send missionaries to help. And the Pope was never able to do that. So he wanted to complete that. So he goes and he tells king and queen of Spain about it. And they said, yes, but we have to wait until the end of the war with the Muslims. 
So in 1492, on January 2nd, they drove the Muslims out of Spain at the Battle of Granada, and they went to Our Lady of Guadalupe and signed the documentation authorizing Columbus to take this trip. And you can go online and see Christopher Columbus's journal. And it talks. You can actually find the document where it says why he's going on the mission and how much money was being given to him by the king and queen of Spain. So then he went and he started to get ready. And he got his three best ships. They actually, again, they signed those documents at Our Lady of Guadalupe. Now, what were the names of the three ships? No? The three ships that went to the, came to the New World. The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Who speaks Spanish? What is Nina? Okay. Girl. Pinta. Paints. Santa Maria. Holy Mary. The girl and Our Lady appeared as a 15-year-old girl. Paints Holy Mary. What did she do? She left us an image of herself. Selfie. What for many years people thought might be a painting. It was a prophecy as a part of Columbus's voyage that Our Lady was going to come to the New World. Now, he knew that he needed to have certain winds to make the trip. So he goes off at, on the September the 6th. He sets away from the port outside the coast of Spain in the Canary Islands. And he's in the bay getting ready to go. He's already left port, but he's sitting there because the winds weren't right. He needed the winds to get him going, the winds to start driving him. And the winds came on September 8th. Eighth is the birthday of Mary. So now he starts to travel across the ocean. And while he's traveling, every night they would sing the Salve Regina on the boat. Every night. All the crew members would come up on deck and they would sing the Salve Regina. And they sighted land on October 11th. Now, what we know today is January 1st is the Feast of the Motherhood of Mary, right? The Theotokos, Motherhood of Mary, on January 1st. That used to be the Feast of the Circumcision. And it was in 1969, I believe, when they changed that and brought the Feast of Our Lady, uh, Mother of God, to January 1st. It used to be on October 11th. So they sighted land. They left on her birthday. They sighted land on October 11th, which was the Feast of the Motherhood of God, Feast of Mary's Motherhood, and they landed on October 12th. What was October 12th? The Feast of Our Lady of the Pillar. These aren't coincidences. So it started with Our Lady of the Pillar back in 40, and it culminated on the voyage of Our Lady of the Pillar when Columbus came to the New World. This is what is now Mexico City. It was an island, and these people, the Aztecs, used to live somewhere else, and they were told they had to leave because they had utilized all of the resources. And in their travels, they had a legend that they would find their home when they saw a bush 
an eagle sitting on the bush, and it would have in its beak, in its claw, it would have a snake, a serpent. And when they saw that, they should stop. And when they approached this area, this little island, it wasn't quite this big, it was smaller than this when they first got there, they saw a bush with an eagle. An eagle had a serpent in its claw, in its beak. That symbol is still on the flag of Mexico, when you see the flag of Mexico. That's what made them settle there. And they took rocks from this volcano in the back, and they kept expanding the island. There were over 20 to 30 million people who lived in that area. 300,000 lived on this island. It had three causeways. The, the northern part was a freshwater lake, and the southern part was a saltwater lake. And they used to be mixed, but they devised a way to separate them so that they would always have clean water. And that's where the Aztecs settled. They had a funny religion. Their sun was the god, and the moon was a god. And they felt that in order for life to continue, they needed to feed that god because the god would get weak. They had a calendar, and the calendar was very, very good calendar, but it only lasted 58 years. And they thought the calendar would, the world would end at the end of the 58 years unless the gods were happy. And so when it got dark, when things grow, the crops weren't growing because they didn't get enough sun, they increased the number of human sacrifices. They used to capture people, and they would fatten them up. And then they would bring them up onto their pyramids, and they would cut them open and take their heart out while they were still alive and kill them, and then distribute their bodies to people so that they could eat. They were cannibalistic. And this culture served this Huitzilopochtli, lover of hearts and drinker of blood, and Tezcalipoca, the tempter at the shoulder, the smoking mirror, the lord of darkness. That sounds an awful lot like the devil to me. And that was the culture that they had. They had symbols were the feathered serpent and Tlacalel was their chief priest Ooh. and they would sacrifice 50,000 people per year mm -hmm. interestingly enough that's about the number of abortions we do in the United States these Yikes. days and they called it the culture of death because of all those sacrifices as we call abortions the culture of death today yeah. 500 years later. Yikes. Well, in 1487, they dedicated the new temples that you see right in the center here. This area right here are temples. And they dedicated these new temples. And in four days, 24 hours a day, every 15 seconds, someone was sacrificed. 80,000 people in four days. That was the culture that existed just prior to Our Lady of Guadalupe's appearance and prior to Cortez, the conquistador from Spain, just prior to his arrival. There was a priest called Quetzalcoatl, very powerful, very powerful god, 
then there was a priest that had the same name, Quetzalcoatl, and he said the true God was good, but he was banished. But there was a legend because of his name. Since their calendar was so precise, they could translate his name into a day. And they said that he would come back and that he would conquer the Aztecs and reclaim the empire for himself. And the day was going to be April 22nd, 1519. April 22nd, 1519. Montezuma, who was the emperor, died. His, brother, his son, Montezuma II, takes over. His sister had a dream. And in the dream, she said, I saw these canoes. They were really big canoes. Never seen them so big before, ever. And they had this tree in the middle of it that had this big white cloth. Right, a sail. They were sailboats she was dreaming of, but she didn't know what they were. And they had this image on it. They had this emblem, which turned out to be the cross. And they were going to come and they were going to conquer the Aztec people. Cortez, a conquistador, very religious, lands in the area on the shores of Mexico on April 22nd, 1519. It happens to be Good Friday, so he wears his black armor, and he looks just like a priest. So right away they think it's Quetzalcoatl, and they go back and they tell Montezuma. Well, there were a lot of battles, and it took a couple of years, but in 1521, Cortez, who was fed up with all of the human sacrifice, conquers the Aztecs. And they bring in Franciscans to evangelize the Indians. But even while the Franciscans were evangelizing them, as difficult as it was, there was still some human sacrifice. Bishop Zumarga was the prior. He was appointed the bishop. Princess Papinson, who was a translator for Cortez, was baptized. And Juan Diego and Maria, his wife, were baptized and got married. They used to walk 15 miles to go to religious ed. They didn't get dropped off like you guys. 15 miles every Saturday they would walk, go to mass, go to religious education, and then 15 miles walk back home. But she got sick and died, and he went to live with his uncle Juan Bernardino, who was only uh, eight or nine miles away. So this is what led up to the apparition. So now it's December 9th, which at that time was the feast of the Immaculate Conception. You know, the Gregorian calendar changed it to the 8th, but it used to be the 9th. So it's the feast of the Immaculate Conception. He's walking to go to church and to his education, his religious education, and he hears this beautiful music. And he sees this hill that is like... This hill is nothing but dirt and cactus and stones. But it's beautiful. It's all green and lush. And the birds are singing. And then the birds stop singing. And he's startled. And he hears Juanito, which is like Johnny. Good translation of Juanito is Johnny. Johnny! Johnny! Come here, Johnny Diego. And he comes up the hill. There is the vision of the Blessed Mother. He doesn't know it's the Blessed Mother. He just sees this beautiful woman. She's standing on the moon. And she's blocking out the sun. And she says to him, know for certain 
least of my sons. That I am the perfect and perpetual Virgin Mary, mother of the true God, through whom everything lives, the Lord of all things, near and far, the master of heaven and earth. It's my earnest wish that a temple or church be put here in my honor, where I will demonstrate, I will exhibit, I will give all my love and my compassion, my help and my protection to the people. Now the people were having trouble because of the Spanish lords that came over after the conquistadors, right? The guys that are in battle, they weren't nearly as bad as the ones that came over as governors. And the priests were trying to keep the peace and they were very worried, but it was very difficult. Well, she's now offering her help. And she appears to Juan Diego. She says, go to the bishop and tell him this. Young girl, beautiful lady, queen, I'm a nobody. He's not going to listen to me. Find somebody of importance to do this. And she said, no, my son, it must be you. You are the one that I must have do this. So he agrees. He goes to the bishop. When he gets to the bishop, he waits for a long time. They don't want him to see the bishop. But the bishop is very gracious. So eventually, he's patient, he's humble, and he waits, and he gets to see the bishop. And when he visits the bishop, he tells the bishop the story. And the story is very hard for the bishop to believe. But he's very gentle and loving. Kind of like what you think of with Pope Francis. It's just that, you know, he puts himself in place of the person telling that story in Juan Diego and he says thank you my son thank you for that information thank you for that message so he leaves very dejected yeah he was nice he was pleasant he listened very intently but he didn't believe me so he goes back the second apparition is on his way home that night the 9th of December he goes to Mary and says I told him but he doesn't believe me and she says ah not good enough go back tomorrow tell him again Mary, please, not Mary, she didn't, he didn't say Mary, but he said, please, my lady, most beautiful lady, it's beautiful words, you look it up, you can read them, it's just gorgeous, the dialogue that they had between each other, it's poetry, very, very wonderful, he says, I can't do this, I'm not, I'm not worthy, I'm not important enough, and she says, no, that I have many angels and messengers and leagues of messengers that I can send on this journey, but I don't want them, I want you back tomorrow and tell him again so he comes back the next day and he goes right to the bishop and he t waits and he waits and he gets a lot of trouble they don't want him to make in front of him at the gate they don't want him in let him in but he waits and he finally gets to see the bishop and he tells the bishop the same story you know and it's like csi or one of these you know tv shows he said everything exactly the same he didn't change his story he must be telling the truth or at least he thinks he's telling the truth so the bishop says to him, okay, I can't just go and build a church because somebody tells me they saw the mother of God. But tell her, she'll understand. Give me a sign. Give me a sign that helps me believe and I will do what she asks. So now he's excited. So he goes back to the hill, Tepeyac Hill. It's now the 10th, right? So this is the third apparition. He goes back to the hill and he tells her this, what the bishop said. And she says, okay, come back tomorrow morning. Come back on the 11th and you'll have your sign. So he goes home and when he gets home, 
His uncle, Bernardino, is deathly ill. He's sick. He's so sick. All night long, he's sick, and he stays by his side. He's by his side the whole next day. He forgets all about what he was supposed to do because his uncle who raised him, it's like his father, is sick and dying. So he stays with him. And then the uncle says, I'm, I'm not going to make it. Go and get a priest. I want last rites. I want to receive the Eucharist before I die. Go and get a priest. So he leaves in the morning and he rushes. And when he gets to the hill, he thinks, ah, I was supposed to be here. She's going to be so upset. I'll go around the other side. So he goes around the back of the hill. And of course, Mary intercepts him, comes down the hill and says, Juanito, where are you going? Oh, dear lady, dear lady, I, I didn't forget. I did forget. I'm sorry. I don't know what the... My uncle is dying. Please, please. And she says to him, Juanito, am I not your mother? Do I not hold you in the crook of my arm? Am I not here? For you, who am your mother, your uncle, as we speak, is healed. Go do what I ask. Go up to the top of the hill, and you'll find flowers. Cut the flowers and bring them to me. And so he believes her that his uncle is healed. He goes up the hill, and on his way up, he's thinking, It's December. We had a frost. There is no way. There's flowers up there. But she tells me to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm obedient and I'm humble. And when he gets to the top, as what happens often when you're obedient and humble and dealing with the Lord and his mother, there is everything that she said. And because it was cold, he had gotten a garment. It's called an ayate. You'll hear it all the time as tilma. It's really not exactly accurate. A tilma is made out of cotton and it was for nobility. The ayate is made out of the fibers of a cactus plant. So imagine getting a spaghetti squash and getting all those fibers and making a jacket. Right? Not going to last very long. Well, these were very strong fibers, so they typically last 25 to 30 years. 20, 25 years probably, if they're taken care of. But that's what he had, and it was longer than, he was six foot, but it was bigger than him. Because he would tie it up around his neck. And they would use it to sleep on. He would use it to carry things. So he gets all the flowers and he puts them in the ayate. In the tilma. And he brings them down to Mary. And she takes them and she places them in a particular way inside his ayate. Closes it up and says, bring this to the bishop. And do not let anybody see it until you get there. So now he goes to the bishop, and he gets there, and they're laughing at him still. Get out of here, you idiot. You're a nobody. Go away. Calling him names, teasing him. He says, no, I have to see the bishop. And while they're giving him a hard time, they see a flower coming out the side of his ayate. And he says, where did he get these flowers from? They went to go reach for it, and it disappeared. And when they pulled their hand back, it reappeared. So they're saying, we better go get the bishop. So they tell the bishop and they take him in there. And he goes in and he tells the bishop the story. Now he's standing in front of the bishop. And he's got this ayate with all these roses in it. 
and he's telling the bishop, and he's looking at him right in the eyes, and that when at the end of his story, he says, please, do me the favor of accepting this gift, the, the sign that you asked for. And he opens up his yate, and all of the flowers fall to the ground. And he's like, okay. They fell to the ground, but why isn't he looking at them? Why did his eyes not follow them down to the ground? The bishop kept looking at him. So when he looked down, he could see the image of the woman who appeared to him on his ayate. The bishop fell to his knees, prayed, actually put up the image, and they started to venerate it. They then went and said, that was the fourth apparition, right, when he got the flowers. Then they said, go and get, he told him about his uncle. He says, go, take these two men and go and get your uncle and come back here. So they went and got Juan Bernardino and brought him back. And Juan Bernardino told him the story. This woman appeared to me. What time? When was it? And they found out it was exactly the time when Mary said, your uncle is healed. She came to me. She healed me. And she said her name was Our Lady of Guadalupe. And in Nahuatl, which was their language, she spoke to them in their language, Nahuatl. It's Guadalupe is the translation of Guadalupe, which also means the person who steps on the head of the serpent. Just as is in Genesis, right? The person who steps on the head of the serpent. So, they see that, they understand, they start to build a chapel. Two weeks later, they have the chapel built. These are the roses. They're called Castilian roses. Why was it important? Because it was winter? Well, that was one reason. Roses growing on a hill in winter that doesn't grow anything even in the summer. But they're also roses that only grow in Castile, Spain. And they were the favorite rose of Bishop Zumarraga. And he knows they don't exist in the New World. And here they are on the floor of his parlor as the sign that he asked for. This is an, a painting of that scene. We know that painting is not correct, which we'll share with you later why we know that. And this is an image that was created of Our Lady curing Juan Bernardino. They built a chapel in two weeks, and on the 26th, 14 days later, had a celebration. And when they were celebrating, everybody was singing and dancing and parading. And they were dancing, and the people, you know how sometimes in, you see in the movies that people get excited, they're shooting their guns, bang, 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 bang. Well, they didn't have guns. They had bows and arrows. So they're shooting bows and arrows in the air. And unfortunately, an arrow comes down, and it goes right through the neck of a dancer. Kills him instantly. Celebration stops. They pick up the dancer. They bring him to the bishop, who is standing right next to the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Back to life before everybody. So now, if there was any doubt, they believed. But they were excited because they knew what this woman said when they saw the image, and we'll share that with you. So, in the first year, they had 400,000 baptisms. That's over a thousand a day. A thousand a day. Twelve Franciscans. 
the next 10 years, probably less than 10 years, 9 million baptisms. Never before, never since has an area so totally converted to Christianity and so quickly. You know, just like Peter was sent to Rome to evangelize Christ's life, death, resurrection, and the Eucharist. They weren't around anymore, the apostles. God sent Mary to the New World. Tenochtitlan, or Mexico City, was the largest city in the New World. It was like Rome to the New World. And they said, he sent her there to evangelize. And so did she evangelize, and very well, nine million in ten years. This is during the time of the Protestant Reformation. I like to call it revolution, because nothing was really reformed. Um, so it was a revolt. And we lost a little over five million Catholics to Protestantism in Europe. But we gained nine million in the New World in those same ten years. Within 50 years, 100% of Mexico was converted. 100%. This is the basilica in Mexico City that now houses the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And this is the image. And it's very beautiful. And everyone that goes says, it's a living image. It speaks to you. You can sense it. It's such peace. And when you gaze your eyes on it, it moves you. And people standing next to each other say totally different things. I say, isn't that the most beautiful blue? It's not blue, it's green. Well, I see blue. Well, I see green. It touches everybody differently. And it's wonderful. I'll use this picture right here. You see this in the bottom? Right above the angel, there's an angel, which, by the way, no one has mentioned in any of the readings that I've said. I personally think there's a significance about the third evangelization that will become known as more and more study is done. But that angel has wings. And what are the color of those wings? Red, white, and blue. What else is red, white, and blue? The flag of the United States. I think we have a very important part to play in the third evangelization. And it's going to come to pass as a result of Our Lady Guadalupe, who is the star of the new evangelization. So right above that angel, which, by the way, is an angel that has the body of an adult, I mean the, the body of a child, but the face of an adult. What did they learn when they saw that, knowing everything was in codex? What they learned was that you, even as an adult, you have to come to Mary and to Jesus as a child. Just right from the gospel. Don't chase the children away. Everyone must come to me as a child. As a child comes to their father. Right? As a child comes to their brother, adopted brother. We're adopted sons of God in Jesus. So right above him is this image right here. See that? Anybody know anything about American history? The Indians? Why do we call them Indians? But the indigenous, the American natives? How did they used to carry their children? On their back. And what did they call that? You remember what they called that? In a papoose. Right? 
Doesn't that look like it's a papoose, but upside down? See the baby's face over here? And it's wrapped in this papoose. But it's face down. When they saw that, they said, oh my goodness, you don't put a baby face down when it's wrapped like that. We're living in a culture of death. Mary blocks out the sun. She's more powerful than the sun. She's standing on the moon, and in fact, it's like more of an eclipse of the moon, which means she's not only more powerful than the moon, but since the moon is the house of their gods, she's actually living there as a god, is what they thought, but tell you, until they got better learning later, that she's not really God, but the mother of God. But she lives with the gods, and that's the truth. So, But she's not the most powerful because her head... Is down in humility, which means there's someone more powerful than she is. Now, in their culture, when you were single, when you were still pre-married, you're still a virgin, the women used to wear their hair very straight, combed out perfectly, straight, straight, very combed, very nice. When you got married, people would know you were married because you braided your hair. You put some of your hair in braids or all your hair in braids. Well, here she's got her hair straight, which means she's a virgin. But she's wearing a black sash, which means she's pregnant. That's what they did when you were pregnant. You would wear a black sash. So they immediately, by seeing this image, knew that she was a virgin mother. They didn't say, oh, they must be wrong. She shouldn't be wearing that sash. No, they knew already that she was something very important and very truthful. So they knew she was the virgin mother. And just below the sash on her womb, there's a four-petaled flower, which is oriented like an X, which is their sign for divinity. So they knew she was carrying God in her womb. This is the main basilica, and you can see the images here. You can tell how big that basilica is, right? Because that image is six foot, more than six foot tall this frame and everything so you actually get on like a horizontal escalator you know a people mover so you don't have to walk you can just kind of look at her john paul ii loved our lady guadalupe he was the first pope to visit the shrine of our lady of guadalupe which is the most visited shrine in all the world over 25 million people a year visit you hear about these places that they boast, oh man, we had 6 million visitors this year, 25 million a year, more than. She's known all over. People love her in the Philippines, they love her in Russia, they love her in Ukraine, they love her, of course, in South America, they love her in the United States and in Canada, the furthest most parish in Alaska, north, the furthest north. Alaska is the parish of Our Lady Guadalupe. And the parish in the southern tip of Argentina is the parish of St. Juan Diego. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Where she appeared in Tepeyac? It's the exact geographic center of the Americas. Not close. The exact scientifically determined geographic center of the whole Americas, from the northern part of Canada all the way down to the southern part of Argentina. So the Pope really loved her. 
she loved him. And I show this picture because it's a beautiful statue outside the cathedral in Mexico City. And you can see Mary, Our Lady Guadalupe, right in the heart of John Paul II. And one of the distinctive features of John Paul II is this cross. It was the first time that we've really seen anyone in an iconic way that had that figure of the cross, that curved top, and it's kind of rugged looking. I say that because I was told by a priest who was a regular on EWTN, he was at a conference and he was told that there was an image of John Paul II on the Ayate of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Now, John Paul II didn't become Pope until 1979. How could he be on the Ayate? Juan Diego, from 1531. But he is. And right below her heart, you can almost see right here this curved black line, and this straight line here, that's the cross, and this white here is his arms reaching up to hold the cross, his head behind his arms, his body, his waist, and he's kneeling. Here's his feet, he's kneeling holding the cross, looking up at this crucifix here as well. It hasn't been confirmed by anybody. Personal belief, I think, from looking at that and hearing what I heard. This is the Church of Santiago in Mexico. What you see that's flat there, that used to be a pyramid where they did sacrifices. And the Franciscans dismantled the pyramid and made a church. Because the people knew those stones were sacred. Those are the stones that built their temple, which they believed wasn't their fault. We know this is incorrect because in technology today, we have determined using all kinds of digital imagery and super microscopes that there were um, 13 or 14 people in the room with them. How do we know that? Because we were able to make her eyes using a microscope big enough to see the reflection of the people in the room. What? In the image? Yes, in the image. Not only that, but when your eyes see something, it's actually seeing two different things because it's looking at it from different perspectives and your brain processes the one image. So when they look at it, just like a human eye, all of the images are over here, but in this eye, all the images are in the same general place, but different sizes, which is how your eye would see it. So the image itself acts just like human eyes. So much so that when they take the image and they shine a light on the eye in the image, the pupil closes just like yours. And when they remove the light, the pupil opens just like yours. What's the temperature of the image? 98.6 degrees. Well, you could ask anybody here, Nathan, what do we keep the church at? About 72? Probably 68 if the, we're not getting a big enough collection. <laughs> right? But the image is always 98.6. What's 98.6? The temperature of a human body. Isn't that incredible? On the day that Mexico legalized abortion, now this is in your lifetime, probably. It's mostly anyway. 
2007, November 2007, they had a vote in Mexico to legalize abortion. At the moment that it was approved, light emanated from the womb of the image of Guadalupe in the shape of a fetus. We talked about this. This little cross brooch at her neck was the cross of Columbus. So when the Spanish were there, they had that same cross on their ships and on their helmets. So they knew this is okay. These people are good. We need to work together. When you see a painting, most of the time when you walk closer to it, it sharpens up. You can see it better. When you're way far away, it's kind of blurry. Exact opposite. When you get close, you can't make out any of those details. But when you back up and you look at it, all of a sudden it sharpens. Scientists can't explain that. Can't explain it. The face of this virgin right here, this face, is all one shape. Now, if you were painting something and you'd got paint and a brush and you painted a big section all one shade, what would you see? Just the color, right? Why does it have eyes? she have eyes and nose and lips if it's all one shade of the one color? Because when NASA tested it, they found out the colors were hovering in midair, one three hundredth of an inch, which is about the width of your hair, above the material. And it was picking up the imperfections of the ayate below to cause the facial features. So right where you see her lip, that's really a knot that was in the ayate, where it had been started to come undone, and they took it and they tied a little knot to keep it from unraveling. That ended up forming the lips. I'm sure it's just all accidental that all these things were in the right position to create her image, right? You think? Accidental? I don't think so. All of the best artists in the world have come to visit and to, and to, and to look at this. And they said there's no way anybody could have painted that. No artist could create it. It's just too well done and too perfect. They have never been able to exactly duplicate the image of Our Lady Guadalupe. They take digital pictures, they take videos, they take everything. They can't duplicate it. It's impossible. They don't understand why. The color actually changes when you start viewing it from different angles. That's why you see somebody saying it's blue and other people say it's green. Other people say it's turquoise. It has teal. It kind of changes as you're looking at it. In 1936, the University of Heidelberg, which was the foremost authority on chemistry in the world, took a sample and determined that the colors themselves, the particular shades, could not possibly have been developed from anything on the face of the earth. No animal, vegetable, or mineral could create those colors. We can do it with synthetics today, but they weren't developed until 300 years afterwards. No brush strokes. The stars. We discovered in the 20s that the stars are actually in the same order as the constellation around Mexico City on the night of the apparition. So in 1531, if you looked at the sky, this is what you would see in the southern sky, these constellations. And they all match identically with Our Lady's stars on her mantle. And in the 
northern constellations were all on the left side, all matching exactly. The Ayate we talked about is probably 20, 25 years, almost 500 years, and it's remained unchanged. Unchanged. For a century, it was hung without any glass. Candles, smoke, incense. You know, Our Lady of Lourdes is only 1858. That's only 150 years, a little more than 150 years. And they've had to clean that cave several times already from all of the candles. Candles didn't bother this. Same toxins. They actually touched it millions of times, even though it's cactus fiber. And they weren't able to destroy it. In 29, they had discovered a human face and found it to be the bust of Juan Diego. They actually, using an ophthalmologist, examined it and found that the image itself acted like an eye. The doctor even talked to it by mistake. He said, ooh, could you move to the left? And then he laughed at himself. So, miracles. The image itself is a miracle. The Indian cured is a miracle. We talked about that. There was a nationwide plague of typhus following a severe, severe drought. Mm. And it was, you know, and they used to, in their old culture, just kill more people, sacrifice more people to the gods to get rid of it. Well, now they didn't. They actually had a pilgrimage of children that went and prayed. And almost instantly after they did that, the plague stopped. In the Battle of Lepanto, we talk about uh, 1571, when the Muslims were twice the number of boats in the Mediterranean Sea against the Christians, and the Pope asked everybody to say the rosary. We won that battle. The winds made them very confused, and our troops were able to go and win that battle, Christianity. On the flagship was the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. In 1629, there was a flood, and Sister Petronia had a vision of Our Lady holding up a wall of water, and she said, Dear Mother, why would the Lord allow so many people to die? And she said, Many more would die for the injustice and for the desecration in mind of the Eucharist if it wasn't for me to intercede for you. In 1791, workmen were cleaning the frame, and they spilled nitric acid. You see this over here? This was all acid that fell on the ayate, which again is just fibers from a cactus. And it did no damage at all. This is a cross that was in the basilica. And you can kind of see the people standing there. It's a big cross. It stands about this tall. And it's very, very heavy brass. And it was in the Basilica during the 1920s when the Cristero Wars were going on, right? When Callas in Mexico wanted to eliminate Christianity. He wanted to close the church. And all the churches were closed except the Basilica. And he knew that if he destroyed the image of Our Lady Guadalupe, the Catholic Church would be done. And he would finally have his way. So they had somebody plant a bomb and some flowers and they brought it to the Mass at 10 o'clock in the morning. And the 
bishop is saying the mass, and it exploded. A football field away, glass was shattered. All the windows in the chapel were broken. Marble was torn off the altar and the walls. Miraculously, nobody was hurt. And this was right underneath the image of Our Lady. And the glass didn't even crack. Our Lord, who was there, took the force of the explosion upon himself and had built that cross like that. He took that sin upon himself as he took your sins and my sins upon himself for our salvation. It's very beautiful. You guys have to look this up because it's crazy. Oh, wait, it's almost time to go. Hold on, we'll be right back. So it's pretty cool, like... When I first looked at this, I'm like, how in the world did that crucifix, it's brass, it's metal, how in the world did it bend back like that? What it looks like is what they did was make a cushion to, in the shape of the curve so that it's sitting on top of this pillow, but it looks like it's like an arc or something because it's so bent in a perfectly curved shape. It's pretty cool. For our salvation. It's very beautiful. I hope someday you get a chance to see it. Um, when they have the traveling image, they actually bring that image around. And while they were bringing that image from town to town, it's not the original, but it was as close a copy as they can get. It's called the traveling image of Our Lady Guadalupe. And while they had it in one town, they, people were, a little girl comes to her mother and says, Mommy, did you hear it? Did you hear it? Did you hear what, honey? The heartbeat. There was a heartbeat. Oh, honey, I don't think so. That's just the painting. No, no, Mommy, it was a heartbeat. So they tell somebody hears it. They get a doctor who comes up with a stethoscope, puts it on the image, and he says, it's not a heartbeat. There's two heartbeats. It's the heartbeat of the mother and a heartbeat of 140 beats per minute of the child in her womb. That image was brought into many places, at one time, it was brought into a hospital to a little girl that was suffering from leukemia, and she was cured instantly. Again, there's many, 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 many more things about this image and about this history that are there for us to understand, to learn about, to deepen our own faith and our trust, because that's what she wants us to do. Trust in me. Trust in my son, because I will bring you to my son. Everything I do will lead you to my son. And that's her message. Her message is different in Our Lady Guadalupe than any of her other apparitions. It's more about how she loves us and is protecting us. And it's going to bring us to her son. And hopefully, in leading the third evangelization, she will count on you and 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 me and me and you spread the word spread the word afraid to talk about these incredible things because you know you don't have sometimes you say something and somebody will look it up and they'll find something and say ah you're just full of it you're just full not here not here look it up go look it up don't take my word for it it's right there in black and white everything i've heard told you except for the John Paul II thing, which I think will come to light at sooner or later. Where do you want to Everything that? else is documented. And it's not documented by priests and the church. It's
that's documented by the civil authorities of the time. It's incredible. Strengthen your faith. Continue in your faith. Don't let your age, as you grow older, come between you and the wonderful gifts that God's given you through the Catholic Church. Because we all want to be together one day in heaven with Our Lady Guadalupe. Thanks very much. All right, people, we will be back. Yes, what? www.true-catholic-pilgrimages.com at m-a-t-e-r-d m-a-t-e-r matter day-e tours d-e-i tours dot com alright bye
people, I guess, can't live like that. We all must pay a price. To be safe, we lose our chance of ever knowing what's around the river bend. Christmas waiting just around the river bend. I look once more just around the river bend. Beyond the shore, where the boats fly free. Don't know what for, but I think the day might send just around the river bend. Steady as the beating drum. 
In case I haven't said it, I think I pretty much killed the horse, right? I, I appreciate you guys. That's all I'm trying to say. Thank you. Thank you for listening and being a part of Javai Grooving On Up. Just two months ago, actually less than two months ago, um, September 25th, 2021, speaking is Father Donald Calloway, C-A-L-L, oh, by the way, call away, yeah. <laughs> he is he also, left the huh? Didn't he left the church? No, he didn't. He's a Marian. What are you talking about? You want to see him? Look, he's... I he has one called he, The Fruit of Medjugorje, and he looks like a young hippie with long hair like you, like Michael. <laughs> it's so I'll cute. Tell you what happened was I think he, he left the faith and then came back. Something oh. And then, and then made him come back. I don't know. He's got too much stuff, man. I love him so much. He, he really, I love the way he explains the rosary. I love the way he explains it. I love it. Anyways, let's just give him a go. Shall we? Connecticut. 
Because um, we as men, we need to hear certain things, right? And there would be certain times when it would be inappropriate for a priest like myself at a Sunday Mass where women and children are present to say some of the things that I'm probably going to say today. You know, the bishop would probably be getting a phone call and I'd be going away to priest camp, you know, for sensitivity training because, you know, Father, that wasn't the right context. Okay, I get it, right? But this is, so get ready. All right. So, you guys see me holding a rosary here, right? And um, this is an awesome rosary, by the way. It's the St. Joseph Terror of Demons rosary. Now, yeah, super, super cool. Very masculine rosary. It is a weapon, right? It will do some damage to you, literally. Um, you see me holding it, and, and you know, you, 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 you know what it is. It's, it's a beaded prayer. Now, to look at it physically, it doesn't look intimidating. You wouldn't look at this and go, ooh, that's going to do some damage, right? They break in your pocket. As a matter of fact, mine right now is trying for the last 20 minutes to untangle it. It's tangled up. It'll eventually get to Our Lady of Undoer of Knots, right? Um, so, it doesn't look intimidating. They break. It's, it's a physical thing. But see, what you and I can't see... But God can, and Our Lady can, and the angels can, both the holy ones and the fallen ones, is that what I'm holding in my hand right now is a sword, a spiritual weapon that slays dragons. But see, we can't see that. But in the spiritual realm, that's what it is. Now, that's, that's, that's very militant language, right? Some people would be turned off by that. I've even heard priests say, oh, prayer is not a weapon. Like, who trained you, homie? You're talking about prayer is not a weapon. I mean, what formation did you... This is, that's ridiculous, right? I have to be so careful on social media. Oh, man, pray for me. Because I write things and I'm like, mm, I'm about to press send. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get a call from somebody. Right? So I'm like, oh, I want to pray for this sorry soul because he's lost, you know. So I hear this stuff and I'm like, what are you talking about? Prayer is not a weapon. What are you talking about? The rosary is not a weapon. So if you don't, you might think, okay, well, this is Father Callaway. We listen to his story. He's pretty aggressive, kind of scary sometimes with his, you know, just real, you know, militant approach to things. All right, fine. Let's take it out of the realm of Father Callaway and let me give you some examples. There's a bishop alive still. In Nigeria, Bishop Dome. Um, you can watch the video. You can Google this later to back it up. A few years ago, when I was writing a book called Champions of the Rosary, I heard a story about this bishop in Nigeria where you know about Boko Haram, right? Boko Haram. One of those really radical Islamic groups that does horrible things to people, kidnaps girls, does horrible things, and then sells them to others to do horrible things. Wicked dudes, man. So in his diocese, a whole bunch of dioceses in Nigeria, 700 girls, you might remember this from a few years back, had been kidnapped from a school. 700 girls by Boko Haram. And people were coming to the bishop and they were saying, Bishop, what do we do? Lead us. Tell us we're freaking out here. Our daughters have been taken captive. What are we supposed to do? And he wasn't sure. So he went to prayer before the Blessed Sacrament in his, his private chapel. And he was praying the rosary, asking for heavenly assistance. And then he testifies. A bishop, he's not lying. And you can watch the videos. He's still alive. He says that in prayer, all of a sudden, Jesus appeared to him. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our sweet Jesus, appeared to him. And guess what Jesus had in his hands? Anybody want to throw out a word? Lord. No. Ha, gotcha. Suckers. No. That's good. You should have said that. Correct. But that's not the right answer. Jesus had a sword 
a sword in his hands. Now, to modern liberals, that will freak them out. They'll be triggered like you don't even, you know. <laughs> Jesus had a sword. I love triggering What's people. up with that? That's not normal. Well, then he was in the nights. <laughs> he is the knight. <laughs> so there's our Lord with the sword. The bishop is startled by this. And Jesus doesn't say anything, but he gestures to the bishop to come near him. And Jesus ha hands the sword like this. The bishop goes to touch, take the sword, because that's what Jesus is implying. He touches the sword. Then, your answer is correct. It mystically transforms into a rosary. I'm not making this up, guys. And then Jesus speaks to his bishop. And he says to him three times, Boko Haram is gone. Boko Haram is gone. Boko Haram is gone. The bishop said that he didn't need a prophet to tell him what that meant. It meant you need to take up this spiritual weapon against this darkness to overcome them. So he started a rosary crusade in his particular diocese. You know, shortly after that, almost all of those girls, some of them didn't make it, almost all of them were returned. No one asked Boko Haram to do this. Then they handed in their weapons to the authorities. Look it up. And then the president of Nigeria mm, went on the, the radio and said, we don't know what's going on here. What, 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 what happened? Well, the bishop knew. And the people that, that were in his parishes knew. It was this, this spiritual weapon. It's serious stuff. This is the Bible on a set of beads, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut through bone and marrow and slay dragons. That's what this is. Now, let's, let's back up maybe 100 years. We're going to do a lot of history here. 100 years ago, another example. There was a guy in Italy named Bartolo Longo. I don't know if you know about this dude's story. Phenomenal. Catholic, raised Catholic, right, from Naples area. But he went off to college, and like sadly happens to many, he lost the faith. And at that time, 100 years ago, there were a lot of movements in Italy who were, you know, really trying to debunk Christianity and say that's just old legends and you know, wives' tales and stuff like that in the rosary. That's nonsense. That's for the weak. And so he got caught up in that, and he abandoned Catholicism. But he was still searching, and he got involved in what today we would call New Age. Back then, 100 years ago, it was called, like, Spiritism. And he went to, like, seances and all kind of weird stuff, and he felt empowered there, right? He felt acknowledged. He felt like part of a community. He got so involved in it, in his own words, not Father Calloway's saying this for emphasis, nope, he was ordained a satanic priest. Bartolo Longo. I know why. You can't get farther away from God than that. Those I of you who know my that. story, I was a wicked dude, but I didn't worship the devil, you know? Bartolo did. And what was the fruit of that? Depression, thoughts of suicide, on medications, uh, you know, he was having hallucinations, all kind of crazy stuff. Almost ruined him mentally. He broke down, humbled himself, and after a long period of time, he went and talked to a Dominican priest. That's yeah, huge. He let the dog out. And that Dominican priest told him, Bartolo, your way out of this cult, your way out of this is the rosary. This is what's going to set you free. This is what's going to bring you back to the sacraments and to the truth. And he embraced it. He became a third-order Dominican, Brother Rosario, and built what is today the world's most famous shrine dedicated to the rosary, Our Lady of the Rosary of Pompeii. Unbelievable basilica. I've been there. Man, that's what a church should look like right there, my friends. Gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. And now that man, a former satanic priest, is blessed Bartol. Let me see. Let me show it.
Paolo Longo. He's a blessing of the church. That's amazing. So, you know, I meet a lot of people today, especially men, who they'll say to me when I'm in a parish or at a prayer group or at a men's group or whatever, and they'll say, eh, you know, Father, I know you plug the rolls or you got a whole bunch of books on it. That's cool, that's cool. But, you know, that's for my wife. That's what my wife does. And I'm like, okay, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Or, you know, I've heard people say that's what grandma does. That's what a nun does. And I'm like, bro, you do realize that the person that our lady gave the rosary to was a dude. It wasn't a woman. Dude. It wasn't a nun in the convent. It wasn't grandma. It was a man in the 13th century, a priest, Dominic, at that time, Father Dominic, who was a great speaker. Oh, man, that guy was an orator. He could speak, he could go, he could rouse people up for sure. But there was a heresy at the time, Albigensianism, from this town called Albi in southern France. And they were basically attacking the incarnational mysteries of Christianity. The flesh, God become man. What is this? The Eucharist, the body of Christ. They were attacking those things and advocating all kind of crazy ideas. So this priest, Zealous, he got permission from his bishop to go start preaching because he was just basically like a diocesan priest at the time. And he tried, but it didn't work. So he went on a retreat in a field in France, and he begged heaven for for help. And that's when tradition says, not a legend, not a fairy tale. I hate that garbage when they call it this stuff. Tradition says that Our Lady came to him, and she gave him the rosary. And she used battle language about it. Oh, yes, it's spiritual roses. This is true. But from the beginning, she said it is a weapon to be used to win souls back to the light. And she equipped it with mysteries. And she sent him out. She said, preach it. And he did. And he won back so many souls. And the mysteries that he was given were the exact mysteries that the heretics were attacking. We'll get more into that later about why we might need to reload the weapon today with additional mysteries because of certain things that are being attacked. Oh, yeah. Like 69% oh, of Catholics yeah. don't believe in the real presence. It makes a lot of sense that the and Holy Spirit would, would give us a mystery, the institution of the Eucharist. I'll get more into that as we go through this. See, she gave him this weapon, and he went out and he used it. And he unsheathed the sword. You know, well, it wasn't official at that time. It is now. But many of the mendicant orders at that time began to wear this sword on their habit as part of their religious attire. And do you know where they wore it? On which side? The left. The left. Why? Why? Just random? Let's roll dice. Yeah, the left. You know, flip coin. No. Why? Because most people are right-handed. Not everybody, but most. And when you unsheathe your sword, you take your right hand to your left side and you take it out. That's why when you look at Dominicans today, most religious communities, it's on the left and not the right. The rosary was made in a time of chivalry, of knights and battle. Everybody knew this back then, right? You're talking about it's not a weapon. Where you been? What horrible (laughs) seminary you go to? It's your formation in history. This is nonsense. Of course it is. 
This is terminology used by Our Lady time and time again, and even by popes. Nonsense. I, some Franciscan on the internet says, oh, it's not, a, Pope would never talk like this. Buddy, I did three years of research. I got all the quotes from popes Buddy. in my book where they're talking about this rosary as a weapon. <laughs> where you been? Right? Well, all you got to do is look and see where they went to seminary. You'll find out. Right? And don't take a profit. So let's back up. When Our Lady gave the rosary to St. Dominic, a man, to champion it, you know, the devil did not like this. Mm -mm. Now, prayer was portable, you could say. You didn't have to know Latin. You didn't have to be a scholar. You didn't have to be skilled orator. You didn't even have to know how to read and write any language. Grandma could do this. A child can do this. It's Catholicism 101. If you can say an Our Father and a Hail Mary and a Glory Be, you're in. Who can't do this? And so it became, everywhere became basically a chapel. Everybody could make a pilgrimage on a daily basis, no matter where they were. Many people at that time, they couldn't go to the Holy Land or to other places. But God, through Our Lady, gave everybody the availability to do an incredible prayer on a daily basis that would transform your life and society. And the devil did not like this. So since the early 13th century, when Our Lady gave this weapon to the world through St. Dominic, there's been a battle raging over it. God wants to put it in your hands. Yes. And the devil wants to strip it out. God's message. I prove it to you. Nobody slays so a dragon wars. without a sword. Nobody. It's interesting. I don't have time to go into this. You know, at the beginning of time, <laughs> when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, what did God put there? A sword. Interesting, no? Mm. No. Very interesting, I think. I actually talk about that in more depth in, in my book, Champions of the Rosary. Oh. What that could mean, some possible interpretations and so forth. Just my thoughts, but it's fascinating. <laughs> what happened right after St. Dominic was given this? And it started to spread everywhere because he founded an association of prayer to go with it. It wasn't yet called the Confraternity of the Rosary, but it was an association of prayer. The devil came in to try and eliminate this because he always does, man. When, when God gives a weapon to the world to combat evil, the devil tries to do many things to it. Destroy it, burn documents associated with it. If you're familiar with the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, for example, just as one example among many. You know, the original diary of St. Faustina, the devil tricks St. Faustina into burning it. It's of no use. Appearing as an angel of light to her, tricked her mm -hmm. into burning it. This I could tell you so many stories about the, these things that have happened throughout history. So what happened in Europe? A plague. The Black Plague. One third of Europe died, my friends. I'm good. Millions of people died. Yes, it was because of a, a natural cause, you know, rats infested and so forth. Yes, for sure. <laughs> On that level, nobody denies this. But on the spiritual level, don't take my word for it. Years later, a great man, St. Louis de Montfort, in the greatest book ever written on the rosary, The Secret of the Rosary, says that the Black Plague in the 14th century was the devil's way of trying to get rid of the weapon. Mm -hmm. Eliminate it. And it almost worked. People stopped praying the rosary during the Black Plague. Though it was during the Black Plague that we got the second half of the Hail Mary. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. That's the only prayer of the rosary that's not right in the scriptures. It came out of the Black Plague era. 
Because people were, thought they were going to die. Like Joseph. So, the devil almost succeeded. Not many people were praying the rosary. They were worried about surviving the Black Death. After that, in the 14th century, in the, in the early 15th century, after the Black Plague was you know, going away, a renewal movement happened in the church called the, the Observant Reform Movement. It happened in the Franciscans. It happened in the Carmelites. It happened in, 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 in the Dominicans. Many communities. And many of them started to have their own form of a rosary. You had the Franciscan Corona Rosary. You had the Brigitine Rosary. All different. The Servite Rosary. The Seven Sorrows of Our Lady. But what about the original? The Dominican Rosary. Well... There was a man, blessed uh, Alan de la Roche. See, I haven't given this talk in three years, so i got to remember Alan this. Alan de la Roche. Blessed yeah. Alan de la Roche, a yeah. Dominican scholar. Dominican. Right? Dominican's awesome. Those guys, nobody can touch those guys intellectually. When you get a yeah. good Dominican, watch out. Okay? <laughs> watch out. So he was into his books, as they do. It's like a sacrament for them. Jesus appeared to him. And I love this. I love this. Jesus appeared to his Dominican and said to him this, and this sounds harsh to us, right, today. We're like, dang, that's brutal. But this is what Jesus said to his Dominican priest. The world is filled with ravenous wolves, and you unfaithful dog, dog. know not how to bark. Dang! Dang! That's brutal, right? Jesus ain't a guru. He's God. If you're rebuked from God oh. in that way, Wow. I would hate to be on the receiving end of that. Why would he call him a brutal dog or, or an unfaithful dog? See, when the Dominicans were founded by St. Dominic, he didn't call them the Dominicans. They were the order of preachers. But they became known as the Dominicans because of his name. But in Latin, the word Dominicanis means dogs of God. They go with the torch throughout the world with truth to get rid of it. There you go. They sniff it out. Sniff it out. They get rid of it. That's the Dominicans, the dogs of God. So he was saying to a Dominican, you're an unfaithful dog. You're not barking. Well, after that rebuke, he kicked it in gear. And he began to promote the rosary, renewed the Dominican rosary. And he renewed the confraternity. Kings were joining the confraternity of the rosary. It was unbelievable what was happening. God did that through a priest. That play between God and the devil here, so to speak throughout history with this battle weapon what happened after that in the next century the devil used a priest to attack the rosary to go after it to say it was nonsense it was a legend there's that word again it was a legend prayed for no one to gain nothing do you know who this man was father martin luther mm -hmm. the founder of protestantism is a fallen away catholic priest do you know this? Mm -hmm. See, today people want to just you whitewash history and be like, yeah, yeah, no, just... You got mm. No, this is reality. I'm not some meanie up here, you know. I'm telling you the facts. The dude was sick. If I told you the things that he said about women and Jewish people, you would be scandalized Scandal. by who this man was. And you know, there's a book today still in existence at the, the University of Jena in Germany that was his book about the rosary confraternity and in the margins affirmed his handwriting he slammed it he loved mary though called her the legend indulgences okay. stupid and gained for no one purgatory what is this still in existence wow what was the effect of that 
many people followed him and others who came after him and followed his ideas and went their own direction with it and ditched the rosary, put the sword on the shelf. Not good. Not good at all. What was God's response to that? Because, you know, millions of people were leaving the one true church founded by Jesus Christ, the Catholic Church in Europe. What did God do? God said, all right, you don't want it? Fine. God sent Our Lady to a little unknown dude in Mexico named Juan Diego and basically gave him an unattached rosary with a tilma with roses on it to lay before the bishop and fill in the gap of those millions of people who had left Catholicism in Europe. Like 10 million people in a decade became Catholic in Mexico. Wow. 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 And incredible things happened in the 16th century when all this was happening. The great missionaries went out to the ends of the earth. You had Jesuits, right, going to India. You, you had Dominicans and Franciscans in South America. And what did they do when they, when they went on the rickety ships to India? Did they take liturgical tomes and all these things to read to the natives in Latin? No. What did all of them take with them, usually strapped to their side? A rosary. The rosary evangelized the world. It's so basic. It's so simple. It's the springboard for going deeper, for introducing them to the sacraments. It's a sacramental. It points to grace, sanctifying grace. That's what all of them did, every single group that went out to the world. And it worked. And it worked. Why do you think that countries like the Philippines today are so in love with the rosary? Because of those great missionaries that went out. But you know what was still happening in Europe? Division. You had Protestantism now going off in so many different directions. Do you know there was a group that wanted to take advantage of this division? Still does. You know what it is? Islam. Mm-hmm. Oh, we can butter this all day long if we want to, but the reality is there's a problem from the beginning of Islam. You, you can call it a Christian heresy. You can call it whatever you want. They don't believe in Christ as the Messiah, as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Actually, in the Quran, they even say that he was there at the cross, but he came down and some other dude took his place. Dude. Whack. Right? Muhammad did not receive a true revelation. He did not. I know people all follow Calvary. You're such a meanie. Yeah, I know. I'm the last guy that should be doing ecumenism, probably. But um, it's the facts, man. <laughs> right? I have Islamic friends, so don't think I'm like some Islamophobe or something. I'm just telling you history, man. So they wanted to attack Christianity and destroy it. Read the books. And they were doing it before this. They had great success in, in, in like Constantinople, turned it into Istanbul. Right? Greatest Christian center in the East. And so many other places they were trying. But they wanted Rome. And they saw, right now, strike. They're divided. The Pope at the time knew this. And who was the Pope? A Dominican. A dog of God. Mm -hmm. And he was a good one. Oh, he was a good one. Pope St. Pius V. And, you know, he didn't just sit back and dialogue about it, you know. Nope. He formed a militia. Ooh. An army of men. DOA. See, that's what a real man does. When those under your care are threatened... What are you going to do, men, if some guy comes to your house with, with, with a gun? You're going to, you know, you're going to sit there and say, let's dialogue about this? I'm going to buy no. thine. <laughs> <laughs> we can play, right? You have a right to defend. 
Well, the Pope was defending that which was threatened, the bride of Christ, the church. So he called for a militia, an army. He, he called upon England, come to the defense of, of Christendom. Yes, sir. They weren't particularly interested. Matter of fact, they were burning our monasteries, confiscating our property, and killing our nuns. They weren't terribly into it. Uh, Germany, come. Yeah, they weren't terribly thrilled about the idea either. Spain, many people came. Certain parts of Italy, like at that time Venice, like its own country, they came. And he blessed them. And he sent them out. Not to wait for them to come to Rome. Go find them. Hmm, those are the days of popes, man. And they went out in rickety ships, unprepared. Many of them farmers. They knew what they were doing. And they went and they found this huge naval fleet of, of Muslims in, in a bay in Greece, Lepanto. Everything was against them. The numbers, the skill, even the weather was against them. But they were praying the rosary, the Pope, the confraternities, and they won. And the only reason today that you're not a Muslim and facing towards Mecca when you pray and reading from the Quran is because of what happened on October 7th, 1571, when Western civilization was saved from Islamic takeover. I am not making this up. This is the facts. I looked everything up. And what was at the heart of it? The rosary. The rosary, my friends. Oh, if I had the time to tell you, that was the, probably the most famous moment. Do you know how many countries have been saved from communism, socialism, Marxism, and so many other isms? Mm -hmm. Colombia, the Philippines, this country, that country, Austria, you name it. So many. And yet people today, they just want to dialogue about it, you know? Have a committee meeting and, you know, come on. Mm -hmm. Come on. Come on. We're dealing with light and darkness, truth and falsehood. Go, go, right go. Right and wrong. And heaven has given us the weapons that we need. So af after this, in the 16th century, amazing things were happening. In, 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 in the 17th century, I'll tell you one, we as Americans should be so proud of this. In today, what is New Mexico, in 1623, I believe, um, there was a tribe of Humano Indians. They're not even in existence anymore. They were small. Missionaries had not yet arrived in that particular area coming up from Mexico. They had gone to some other areas, but they hadn't arrived in that particular area yet. But when they did, Franciscans in particular, they came across this tribe of Indians who already knew the faith. And guess what they already had? Rosaries. The missionaries were like, okay, who I beat us? Right? What, what other... What Dominicans or you know, Jesuits beat us here? And they were like, nobody. The lady has been teaching us. The lady? Yes, the lady in blue has been coming to us and teaching us the faith, preparing us, telling us you would be coming, and she gave us these rosaries. I'm not making this up. You can look it up in the historical documents. I did. Now, most of the missionaries back then were from Spain. Not all of them, but most of them. They were you know, writing this stuff back to Spain in correspondence. They kept phenomenal journals, and they were saying, we came across this tribe, no priest has been here, they already know the faith, and they're already praying rosaries. What is this? By location. Well, in Spain, there was a notorious mystic named uh, Maria de Agreda, a nun, who wore a blue habit, who could bilocate. 
right? Called oh, it. I'd love to be able to do that, by the way. That'd be sweet, man. I could be surfing in Fiji right now and giving this talk. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Padre Pio wouldn't have done it that way, but I would. So she was my locating. God was allowing her to go to this people she didn't even know, teaching them the faith, preparing them for the missionaries, and in her convent in Spain, they made rosaries. She took the excess ones and gave them to them. There's a church you can go to in New Mexico where they have this all, like, Stations of the Cross kind of in the church where you can read all of this from that time as it was written. Amazing. Absolutely incredible. So as we move through the, 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 that century and into the next one, even more incredible things are happening. But there's bad things happening as well. There was a group of scholars who were well-intentioned, and they did some incredible things, trust me, some really incredible things. But they were Jesuits. <laughs> Come on, I expected a little more. Yeah? <laughs> Bolandists. They did. They were supposed to, like, basically write about the saints, and they did a lot of great work with this, for sure. Nobody can deny this. They did some phenomenal research and, and everything. But they began to say that the rosary was a legend. Some of them actually said, well, let's not go that far. Let's say that Our Lady gave it to St. Ignatius. Right? You got that whole Dominican thing going on with them, you know. We're better. No, we're better. You know. So... They started to have paintings depicting that. Our Lady giving the rosary to St. Ignatius of Loyola. Rome actually stepped in and said, yeah, no. And they stopped that. But they tried to say that this was something that Our Lady didn't really come then. And she didn't really give it to St. Dominic. Mm, not good. Do you know what Heaven's response to that was? Oh, yeah. Remember Jesus says that it, for, the, for those who don't accept it, even the rocks will cry out. Oh, yeah. Check this I love out. love this one. In 1754, I believe. Again, my dates are maybe off because I haven't given this talk in three years. In Colombia, South America, missionaries had already been there. They'd evangelized the place. Awesome. There was a village where a mother and a daughter, the, the husband was already deceased. The, the, the daughter was sick. I mean, she, she was deaf, mute. She had all kinds of health problems. One day... The mother and the daughter are away from the village gathering stuff, basically like firewood and things. And a storm breaks out, violent storm, and they take refuge in a cliff. And almost like a little grotto, kind of. And when they're there, they both see a beautiful woman, exquisitely beautiful, holding a child. And they had been catechized. They were Catholic. So they were like, they knew who it was. No words were said. But they knew who it was. The little girl couldn't formulate anything anyway. She couldn't speak. They went back to the village. And the mother, she wanted to tell people. But she thought they're going to think she's crazy. Saying that she saw a Mary and a child Jesus. So she didn't say anything. But they kept going back there to pray. Never saw it again. Then, not too long after that, the girl, because she was so sick, she died. Dead. In the village, they are preparing the funeral. They're about to celebrate the funeral mass. You know what the mother did? In a panic, in grief, she picked up her dead daughter. Everybody saw this. Ran out of the village. People didn't know where she was going. They didn't know what had happened. They thought she's just having a moment, right? She goes to the rock cliff. She prays for her little girl. And the little girl comes back to life. Now she can speak. She can hear. They go back to the village and they give testimony to what had happened and what they had seen before. And the whole village goes to the rock cliff. 
Coming, coming. And what they had seen before, and the whole village goes to the rock cliff. And when they get there, they see something on the cliff that hadn't been there before. Life size, as big as you and me. Who is it? It's Our Lady holding the Christ child. On their sides are Saint Dominic. Our Lady is giving the rosary to Saint Dominic. The rocks will cry out if you deny this. And our Lord. The, the priest yesterday, while we were listening to um, that, he was saying that uh, Satan is 100% for Satan. He said, his story was like, I got invited to this this Protestant uh, club thing that where you you we united in Christ, and turned out he's they have a much of a bitter against Catholic. Like you say, you respect all people to come. You you, you know what I mean, but then. Why is it like they leave you such a sour taste with Catholic? And then you can start to like attack the guy, you know what I mean? Like, did you hear the father uh, that was explaining that yesterday? Wow. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I noticed that. I noticed that. So then I, I, feel, I feel like what the father said, and I went through the same experience. So I feel like, you know what? I need to know my, I need to know my guy. That's when I had this whole... Thing and I was just searching. You know what? I'm gonna arm myself. I'm tired of getting beat up. I'm tired of getting bullied. That's right. I gotta arm myself. Full so then armor. I. So then. Full see, armor of God. You got a okay. sword. Got a shield. Okay. Here's the thing. I didn't get any. Not that there is no literature on Catholic anything like that. I just I just didn't get anything from my Catholic community, right? Everything that I got have to be attributed directly from God because I didn't have anybody to teach me Bible, nothing. You, you've been with me all this year. You saw it. I don't have anybody to teach me. All I had was the movies that give me a, 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 a general, you know, and it's not I only all have one scripture, word. neither it is, it can say that it's uh, scripturally scriptures. Right, two words, but the concept of it mm -hmm. is is what taught me, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and then from there, it it made me understand about my faith a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Do I understand everything? No, you know what I mean. Then right. from there, uh, I start listening to other people that, but they turn out to be not Catholic, but they preaching on. The Bible, so I'm trying to learn what all this means and what it said, right? Through the Protestant, I guess, or through different no, Christian, right? I'm not a Christian. I'm a Catholic. Like there's a distinction. <laughs> so that's why I was like, I, and then I had to learn what is Catholic and what is Christian, and then when I'm, you know, what I mean, I had to learn all this stuff. Still there, still there. But they stop. Abyss. They stop. They they saw what they needed Overcome. to see. Overcome. And they stopped there and they think that was enough. Overcome. There you go. OJ. You know what the J's for? Jackass. You know what a jackass does? Shakes things off when you try to bury him alive. He just shakes the dirt and steps up. Come on, let's go. As a child is giving the Franciscan cord that they wear as part of their habit to St. Francis. The priests are a little slow in getting there. They show up, and they're like, whoa, 
this is amazing. Who painted this? Everybody was asking this. And the mother and daughter, we'd never seen this before. This is a spot where we saw Our Lady, but this is new. This wasn't here. We've never seen this. People being people, they began to, to, to try and see what it is. They began to take pieces of it, right? I probably would have done the same thing, you know. Take a little piece of it home, a little, a little relic from this place, you know. But the fascinating thing is, the color was still there. Even though it was a little deeper, it's still there. Interesting. Some people being people, probably teenagers or something, this is probably something stupid I would have done back in the day too, they tried to rub it and smear it. It didn't smear. What kind of pigment is this? What, what is this? Fascinating. Eventually, people came and bored into the cliff, three feet deep, took out a core sample. Do you know what's amazing? It's not paint. It's the rock. They bored. It's the rock. They dug. This is impossible. Come on, Daddy. And that's not something, you know, I have people come up to me all the time with a picture of a cloud. They're like, Father, do you see it? And I'm like, I don't see nothing, Jack, but if it's a gift for you. It's a gift for you. Keep you know, digging, Jack. It's a bug, homie. It flew in front of the camera, you know, but I don't want to ruin your day. So Keep it's digging, amazing. You know, I don't know. But this is not one of those things. This is like a life-size, beautiful, look it up on Google, man. 1754 this happened. Do you know that this is fully approved? It's a minor basilica. John Paul II talked about it during his pontificate. Our Lady of La, La Salette. Eh, it's loading. I'm with you, hon. Okay. I don't know what happened. I, I'm, you just so excited to tell me I'm about always it. excited. <laughs> I'm just letting you know, I'm with you. I get it. I... You, I Battle scar, you want to see? <laughs> and I'm, I'm, right? I'm okay. venting. That's what I'm doing. This is my therapy. I just, don't it's want free. You You're welcome. I just don't want anything. I'm not <laughs> with you. Hello. Oh, my internet stopped. Well, that sucks. Keep talking until I can get it back on. The guy who got beat up all his life over Bible thumbs, right? I know, okay. right? So, look, I get this it. It's therapy for you and me. <laughs> I just, I just. I want to. I need to vent out my battle scars so I don't. I don't. I. I don't collateral damage people when I walk out the door. <laughs> That's all I gotta say, yo. I'm trying not to kill people. It's <laughs> hard, man. I'm trying not to kill no souls here. <laughs> God forbid. I don't want. I don't want that on my book. Do you guys know? Y'all don't know, do you? For every prophet, for every priest, there's a book in heaven writing down all the souls that you sent to damnation. Either, what do we say? My fault, my fault, my grievous fault for what I have done, what I have failed to do, what I thunk. For those three things, whatever you do or don't do, you will be responsible for the souls that you touched and sent to hell. Ah, yeah. Scary. Now that, my friend, is scary. <laughs> what did he subscribe as? Worse than a jackass with a millstone around his head. <laughs> Or donkey, fine, donkey, Shrek. Las Lajas in Colombia, mind-blowing. In my opinion.
opinion, it's us in Colombia. John Paul II talked about it during his pontificate. Our Lady of Las Lajas in Colombia. Mind-blowing. Las Lajas, Colombia. In my opinion, it's just one step below Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is miraculous. As Scott Hahn says, Our Lady of Guadalupe is like Our Lady took a selfie and left it in Mexico City, right? Yep, that's true. But the rocks cried out in Colombia because people were starting to deny the rosary tradition. So God put it into a rock. Yep, they dug and they try to find, you know, like you think it was on surface. So you think, oh, let me keep digging until the color disappears or find the original color of the rock. It never changed. They kept digging. They kept digging. I think they stopped at a certain point. Was it five feet? Ten feet? Fifteen feet? I don't know. I'm still there. I want to go there someday. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't want to die. Colombia is a little sketchy. But you actually have to fly into Ecuador and you go over that way. It's, it's, it's really remote in, in Colombia. I've known people that have gone there. It looks like Lord of the Rings. The, 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 the minor basilica is over this huge canyon. But it's there. It's absolutely mind-blowing. What, what, what happened after that? Well, some more incredible things. Our lady came to a little town in France, not far from where the rosary was given in the 13th century, to a little girl, humble, simple little girl, named Bernadette Subiru, in an apparition. And what did Our Lady have in her hands? The rosary. Matter of fact, she prayed parts of it with Bernadette Subiru. You can't get no greater endorsement for the rosary than when the Holy Mother of God prays it. The parts that she can. She doesn't pray for forgive us our sins and the Our Father and such. She's not a sinner. She doesn't pray for her own intercession. That'd be all jacked up. But she prayed the part she could with Bernadette. And a rosary revolution began. And why did that happen? Because there was another revolution right before that. In France, the battleground of the rosary, where it was given. The French Revolution. You know, it amazes me today how many people celebrate the French Revolution. Again, are you high? Do you know what the French Revolution did to the Catholic Church? Do you know to this day, the churches in, in France are not owned by the Catholic Church? That's why when, when, when Notre Dame was burning, which mean, doesn't mean football, by the way. It means Our Lady. Please understand that. So, when it burned a couple years ago, isn't it fascinating that the government is the people talking about built, rebuilding it? Yeah, because they own it. Thanks to the French Revolution. What, what lunatics take nuns to a guillotine? That's what the leaders of the French Revolution did. Uh-huh. And then you know what else they did? The leaders of the French Revolution marched into the cathedral of Notre Dame, the one that burned a few years ago. They brought a prostitute in. Not making it up. They put her on the altar half naked. And they chanted something to her. You know what they said? Hail, goddess full of reason, they said. You sick, twisted perverts. That's what they did. Mocking the Hail Mary. Hail Mary full of grace. Wicked men replace it with Hail Goddess full of reason. That's the leaders of the French Revolution. There was a man who, shortly before that, wrote the greatest book ever on the rosary. The secret of the rosary. But like most of his other works, it was buried in a field in France for like 150 years. Unfortunate, but we should be grateful because had the revolutionaries found it, they would have burned it and we wouldn't have it today. God hid it in a field for later times. You're going to need this later. When Our Lady came, 
against that French Revolution to little Bernadette Subiru. She bought the rosary and she prayed it. And the whole world, a rosary revolution started. And then we had a pope, Leo XIII, who wrote 11 encyclicals on the rosary. Are you kidding me? No pope has wrote on one topic so many encyclicals. That's off the charts. That's just encyclicals. He wrote papal letters. He wrote this. He did that. He did so many things to the rosary. Nobody compares to him. Why that man is not canonized blows my mind. Blows my mind. Leo XIII. Amazing. 20th century, the snowball just keeps going. We get so many more incredible things happening with the rosary. Our Lady of Fatima comes. All kind of apparitions. I won't tell you anything weird or unapproved. Fatima. You get Coapa, Nicaragua. Look this stuff up. It's in my book. I did all the research for you. In, in, in Cabejo, when two tribes are going at it with, 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 with shetties, Our Lady comes to promote the regular rosary and also the Seven Sorrows rosary. Our Lady of San Nicolas in Argentina. So many. Bano, Burang. Approved apparitions. Akita, Japan. And what's the main theme? The rosary. The rosary. And yet we're so stiff-necked and stubborn, we don't listen. We think we can dialogue our way out of this. And committee it, you know, strategic planning programs... You know what your strategic program, planning program should be? A holy hour before the Eucharist with the weapon in hand. This is how you win the victories. You can conquer nations this way. You don't need super educated, wasting time and money and resources. Mm. Get on your knees and do battle. This is what heaven has been telling us for so long. Mm-hmm. And now... In recent times, Saint, with the pontificate of St. John Paul II, you know, it's fascinating that during the 60s and 70s, you know that there were seminaries that told the seminarians you can't pray the rosary in the chapel. What kind of insanity is that? That's like sending men to boot camp and saying, yeah, we're not going to give you a gun. <laughs> you're there to learn to be warriors. You're cranking out new recruits and you're not going to give them this weapon. It was discouraged. I've heard this from older priests who have told me, yeah, we couldn't do that in the seminary. We couldn't pray the rosary. That's nuts. No wonder we had so many problems, jacked up palaces, turning into pink palaces and seminaries. No wonder. You get rid of the women that men want to fight for, a queen. They're going to they're gonna be jacked up in their emotions. They're going to be seeking out other things and unfortunately even other dudes. Hello? What the heck? This ain't rocket science. No wonder things are so jacked up today. Jack. Men need a beauty to fight for. You take that beauty out, they're all confused. They become defectors in battle. And then they don't even think that there is a dragon. What dragon? What princess? That's why we're living in such messed up times. Then when John Paul II became the Pope, one of the first things that he said in his pontificate, the whole world heard it. Most traveled Pope in history. The rosary is my favorite prayer, he said. Wow. That's amazing. A lot of people were definitely triggered that day when he said that. Uh-huh. Triggered. But he began to promote it everywhere. And he gave as a gift that you could give to the newlyweds who came to Rome to get the blessing of the Pope. What did he give them? Rosary. Promoted it everywhere that he went. At the World Youth Days, at this meeting, at that. We told bishops to promote it, do it. Wow. And then, knowing the seriousness of the times, he gave us the option. Now, don't freak, because I meet a lot of people. They freak out. They're like... Oh, I'm, I'm a hardcore traditionalist, so I don't pray the luminous mysteries. You're a dork. 
<laughs> Do you Don't... really think that our Lord is offended by this option? It's not obligatory. But why would you slam it? Do you not realize what's going on in modern times? Stuff that wasn't happening when the original mysteries were given to St. Dominic that he had to combat with his preaching and praying method that worked? Let's, let's take a little journey through them, shall we? Think about, about the first luminous mystery. And basically, by the way, all that St. John Paul II did was to, to update the weapon and turn the, the, the sword into a lightsaber. The luminous mysteries for dark times, right? That's what he did. Think about the first luminous mystery. The baptism of Jesus. Why? Why? Of all the things, will we meditate upon this? How many people don't have their kids baptized today? So many. I meet parents. Oh, they got their PhD from this school and that school. And they say, oh, no, I don't want to you know, impose that on my child. I'll wait till they grow up to make that decision on their own. Stupid. You, do you not feed your children? What's going to happen if you don't feed your children? You, you're just going to wait for them to do it on their own? They're dead. You have a response. All right, I'm going to tell you the story that I told my child. And it changed his life. It's one story that my grandmommy told me changed my life. This is a story of a little girl. Spoiled. How spoiled? Spoiled to the point where she would not even get out of bed. She wanted everything to be done for her. Her parents spoiled her. Finally, they hang a ginormous cookie over her head, hoping she will be, just lift her head up and open her mouth and damn eat it. She wouldn't even do that, and she died. Goodbye. Responsibility to feed their bodies, you also have a responsibility to feed their souls. This is the gateway into the mysteries, into the sacraments, into grace. How many parents don't baptize their kids? So many. We need this sacrament. How about the second luminous mystery? This is a zinger right here. Don't walk out on me now. The wedding feast of Cana. Of all the things that we can meditate upon. Why? Why? Because today marriage is under attack. Marriage has been redefined by so many cultures. Today we think it's legit for two dudes to get married. Or two women to get married. This is an offense against God. Look, we're all disordered. I got my cross, you got yours. But there's right and there's wrong. There's truth and there's falsehood. This is wrong. Very wrong. This wasn't under attack in the 13th century. Even the heretics knew this one. <laughs> but today, we're so messed up, we think it's normal. Modern family, right? We entertain ourselves with this nonsense. I know, I do. The education system today basically is one gigantic indoctrination camp. Educating your children to be all favorable to this. I love walking. Ay, ay, ay. I used to love the month of June. Now I can't stand it. It's my birth month. Everywhere I go, I just see rainbows. <laughs> this is wrong. See, why did he go to the wedding feast of Cana? Because Jesus is only present at a wedding that's between a man and a woman, my friends. We've so distorted this, so jacked it up, that even many of you probably here today bought into it. It ain't right. 
When you pray that mystery that decade, you need to be making reparation. You need to be converting your heart into the truth on this matter. It doesn't mean we're haters. I have relatives who suffer from same-sex attraction. I love them. I don't hate them. I'm not a homophobe. But there's right and there's wrong. There's truth and there's falsehood. There's light and there's darkness. We need the light of Christ to shine strongly. This is the building block of civilization, marriage and family. You know, Fatima, Sister Lucia dos Santos, the longest-lived visionary, the one who got the short end of that stick, right? The others died and are already canonized. She lived to be 100 and she ain't nothing. You know, She's like, what about me? Um, she'll get it one day, hopefully. So she said to a cardinal when she was a nun in Portugal, the final battle between good and evil will be fought over trees? <laughs> no. Immigration? No. No. Marriage and family. Hello? What do devil, evil demon spirits want you for? Need you for? Hello? We're living it. We gotta unsheathe the sword. We gotta take up the weapon. Converting our own hearts. The third one. What's the third? Oh, conversion. Hello? The proclamation of the kingdom and the call to conversion. How many people today just think that Jesus is a guru? Oh, it's, you know, we all go to heaven. He's the same as Muhammad, God forbid, or, 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 you know, Buddha, or some dude in Sedona, Arizona, putting a hot rock on his belly button, searching for nirvana, and stupid. He ain't a guru. He's the son of God. He's not an option. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Your detective, Sherlock here, pipe in mouth. I am a detective. I'm going into this room and I'm going to question what the heck happened. Shit done hit the fan. There's ten people in the room. I question each one of them individually. I got some things that are similar throughout at all ten and some things that were different. Normal. But one thing that stood out was that nine of them agreed and one did not. Let me ask you, audience, how would you judge? To the life. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That's not Father Calloway. That's Christianity. That's everything. And yet this is not taught in schools. This is not even taught in many Catholic schools. This needs to be changed. The fourth mystery, the institution of the Eucharist, or no, transfiguration. Again, many people just see Jesus as an option. He's just one of many. Nothing special. No, his light shone so bright they could hardly behold it. He is the son of God. He is God. That is so important today. Today you can go to many Catholic schools. They don't even have a theology department. They have religious studies. Why? Because theology is faith, you know, Seeking an understanding. What's the Logic, people. Go read, read some C.S. Lewis. Mere Christianity, Narnia, the book. All right, start with movies. Good enough. Definition of it, forget it. Faith-seeking understanding. That's theology. Renaissance. So if you don't have faith, you don't need to have a theology department. You can practice religious pluralism. Seriously. Go to many schools and you'll find books on Jesus that are usually whack. 
and then you'll find other stuff in all the other religions. It's like they're proud of trying to get rid of Jesus and be so sensitive to everybody else that they don't even want to have cruci- Trivia. Name Marco Angelo's famous place. Uh-huh. Crucifixes in Catholic universities. What insanity is this? We've lost it. We need to bring them back. And then the last mystery. Oh, this is so important. The institution of the Eucharist. What was it? Right before the pandemic, a survey, a study was taken in North America. It's probably the same around the world. 69% of Catholics do not believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. 69%. You might as well round it up. 70%. What the heck? What happened? How, how did this happen? Well, it's easy to see. The preaching, garbage. It's not about your dog father. It's not about your golf game father. People come to church once a week. Preach. Tell them. And if you tick them off and they walk away, fine. Jesus himself said 2,000 years ago, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have life. And there was a group of dudes who said, yeah, that's a hard saying. We're out of here. And what did Jesus say to them? Oh, I'm sorry. Come back. Kumbaya, group hug. Did I offend you? Come on, come on. Right? Let's dialogue. No. He let him walk away. Why? Because he's mean, nasty Jesus. He's a hater. No, because he loves them so much that he knows truth doesn't change for your convenience. Do you know what a rainbow is? Do you? Do you? Do you? Do you? Rain? Spell it. R. E. I. G N Rain Spell Bow Bow B O W of a what? Ship. What's on the bow of a ship? Oh, such a pretty lady. Uh-huh. Nina Santa Maria. Nina Pinta Santa Maria. Okay, great. Columbus. St. Columbus, please, please. Yeah. It doesn't tickle your ear. Because when you go through your crisis, and you will, you will know where you can come back where truth doesn't change. Really. This is Catholicism. It's not a fad, by the way. It's the truth. Unchanging, like Jesus, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Always the same. This is the Eucharist. It is Jesus. We've got to recapture this. When we pray that decade, we've got to stir up that Eucharistic love. We've got to turn our, our churches back into... Dane bowed. Divine Marsericordia. Misericordia. Misery in one accord. You... The fourth person, the person who even makes it worth making movies for, the viewer. Three plus one equals four. Oh, four squares. Oh, a table. Picture it. A table. Three people sitting there staring at each other, waiting for you. There's a chair right in front of you. You see it? That's an open seat. Fourth person. A movie. Movie set. We're on the set of a movie set in Hollywood. There's three walls. You are the fourth 
person. That's an invisible wall. There's cameras there. Got it? Get it? No? All right. To places that, that love him, honor him, reverence him. We've got to take those tabernacles from out in the hallway down the closet. No wonder people don't know how to genuflect. Bring them back. It ain't our house either. It's his house. How dare we kick him out of the sanctuary? Divine mercy means God bowed down to us. So if you agree with that, you bow down to him. Lord, I bow down in agreement with you in testimony of our covenant, which is not a contract. A covenant? Scott Hahn. Please. Which is not a covenant. It is a giving of a person and a person. Marriage. Civil unions completely different. Came way later. I'm talking about original here. All these liturgists, they worry me. It's a wedding. It's a wedding. It's a wedding. I do. Do you? I do. Great. Kiss the bride. Awesome. Let's celebrate. Dance. Can we get to the dance? We got here? problems, folks. We got problems. These mysteries are a gift to us. Don't be afraid to pray them. You're not obliged. It's not an obligatory. Okay, fine. But don't slam anybody who does. We need to make reparation to, to our Lord's heart, to our Lady's heart, because they're very much offended today. Very much offended today. So I'm going to challenge you. If you don't own a rosary, shame on you. No. Well, yeah. Hey. You're Catholic, man. I looked up a shame yesterday. I know what it means. What are you doing? If it's just on your rear view mirror, don't think you're somebody special because you got one hanging in your car. You need to pray it. You need to use it. You need to unsheathe the sword. Will it help you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Our Lady has said the rosary can change human history. It can stop wars. I can tell you what else it does. It heals men from the thing that is plaguing the planet right more, way more than COVID. That kills your body, maybe, maybe. Your soul, pornography, numero uno among the sins of men today. Trust me, I'm a priest. I hear confessions. I know. With the rosary, you can replace those images that have helped you to go astray and fall into mortal sin with holy images. Your mind, your heart, your intentions become good. You can have a chaste heart like St. Joseph. You can become a knight of the Immaculata. You nice. can become a member of Our Lady's Army. DOA. This is what we need today among men. Boys by the age of nine are being exposed to hardcore pornography today. How do we conquer this beast? We need fathers, men to step up and to hand these things on to their boys, to their daughters as well, of course, but that's a whole different talk. I remember when my biological father died. He gave me his 22 not a powerful gun, right? But he gave it to me. I'm not getting rid of it. My dad gave me this. What if fathers began to give their boys their rosary? Or get them a rosary? A manly one, not a pink one, right? Get them a manly one. Son, this is the rosary. When I met your mother, this is the one that I used. Or if you jacked it up at the beginning of your marriage, son, when I had my conversion... This rosary has helped me so much. 
I know I haven't maybe always been the best father. My mistakes are many, and I'm sorry. I give this to you. That boy ain't going to get rid of it. It means something. We need men to step up today to take up this weapon of warfare for yourself, for your family, because there is a dragon who wants to devour your bride and your children, breathing fire. Really? And for our country. Pope Leo XIII said that the praying of the rosary heals the, the, the things that are ailing society. And it's true. We need to take it up, my friends. So I offer you a challenge. Mm-hmm. Pray it. Go ahead. Pray it every day. In One Latin. set of mysteries. In to Hebrew. pray it well takes about 20 minutes. In Don't Greek. rush. Slow down. Remember the stop sign. And do all 14 stations of the cross. It's all about Jesus. Can I say it again? It's all about Jesus. And you think, I don't think they heard you. It's all about meditating on the 14 ways of the cross. Number one, Jesus is crucified. Number two, Jesus picks up the cross. Number three, Jesus falls for the first time. Why? Because you guys are not listening. Sign says speed kills. Don't fly through it. I've been to churches where, you know, God bless them, ladies are praying the rosary before or after mass, but it's like, sold to the highest bidder. It's like, slow down, Grandma. Dag, gone, man, you know? What's the rush? Well, hurry. then you've got go, other go, people go, who go, are like go. molasses. I'm getting old here. Hail Mary. It's like, bro, what's wrong? Are you, are you on your meds? Are you off your meds? What's up, right? Normal. Be normal. In the pace that you set so that you can pray it as one voice. Because I can tell you, it's tough to pray it when somebody's speeding ahead or somebody's like molasses. I just want to get it done at that point. It's torture. Learn to pray it as one at the common pace. It's power. Okay. Tongue training. My husband asked me this. I'm going to answer it. You're a Kung Fu master. Can you master your tongue? Can you be a master of your balls? Invincible armor, Shaw Brothers. Go watch it. Now. Fully armored. Yeah? Are you? Are you? Powerful stuff, man. 20 minutes a day. How many of you don't raise... Exercise your tongue, people. Exercise your tongue. All right. Virgin muscle. Virgin mu I know. I know. What are your virgin muscles? Muscles that you haven't been using and so you didn't even know you had. How do you uh, reverse that? You reverse everything you've been doing. So since you've been using your tongue so much, give us some R&R. -R. How did I do that? Death like this. You just let your tongue relax like that. And you don't use it. You just pretend like you have no tongue. I mean, it's like when you're old and you have dentures and you have no teeth. Okay, like that. So you, how am I still talking, you ask? Because I'm using all the other muscles I had but never used because I depended too much on the cause of that, the tongue. You see, so now that I'm getting it from R and R, I can use my other muscles, and in the meantime, thinking them. Now I can say the Hail Mary properly. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now in the hour of our death. Amen. Can you do that? I was kind of slow, but I felt it. Good enough. Raise your hand. You waste more time on social media and Facebook. You spent more time. Yeah, you did, right? Yeah, I know. 
you, 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 you're in the toilet for more than 20 minutes sometimes. Can you not offer to God and Our Lady 20 minutes of your day? Walking your dog, you can do it, okay? If you got a, a, a driving lawnmower, you can do it then, right? You got convenience. You don't have to necessarily have a, a rosary like I showed you, though, though that's the best option, but there's rosary rings. Heck, you got 10 digits. God made one on your body, okay? There's no excuse for you. This will transform your life. It'll get the poison of sin out of your life. I know. It did it for me 28 years ago, and it still does it for me. Still does it for me. Been a priest 18 years now. When I don't pray my rosary, I suck. I really do. I'm grumpy. I got like a, I'm a chip on my shoulder. I'm, like, you know, I'm in a fighting mood. You know, it's kind of me normal, but you know what I mean. Like, I'm just so irritable. Feel you, Father Calloway. Not where I need to be. And do not all the saints say this? Even the ones who struggle with the rosary. <laughs> As we all do. Look, I'm going to tell you right now. I've written five books of the rosary. I've never prayed a perfect rosary. Right. I don't think anybody has, but Padre Pio, probably. Everybody gets distracted. You're not, you don't have angelic mind. You can't pinpoint on one thing for 20 minutes and there's nothing else going on. No, you're going to be thinking about that smell. Did I respond to that message? Did I this, that, and the other? What's for dinner? Normal. (laughs) Normal. St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. Everybody loves little Therese, right? She really struggled to pray the rosary. She talks about it in her story of a soul. You got to be a jockey. A what? This jockey? Yeah, that too. But uh, the other, the short kind on a horse, you know? Stallion? Yeah. You know what the stallion does? Do you know how he can focus? He has blinders on. That's the only way. I met a jockey once, real short. Cool guy. Wish he'd talk some more. But she didn't stop. I lift him up, too, because he's from this country. Thank you. Hallelujah. Love perseveres. Don't matter how you feel. Many times I pray the rosary, I ain't feeling nothing. Love perseveres. I love you. Because when you're saying those Hail Marys, as Fulton Sheen said, you're saying to God and to Our Lady, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And they never get tired of hearing this. Raise your hand if you ever get tired of me telling I love you. No hands. Good enough. Even if it's it's a scattered I love you. It's like butterfly kisses from a child to a parent. All distracted is all get out. But God will take it. Don't become discouraged because you can't focus. You can do this. If you struggle for 20 minutes, look, God is so good to you. He gave you the rosary on training wheels. Ch- you give a dozen roses every how often to that other what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Now think of every Hail Mary as a rose petal. Uh-huh. Yeah, go home to your mama. Chaplet of Divine Mercy takes five, okay? Five minutes. God's like, gosh, man, you guys are so out of it. Here, try this. I'll give you training wheels. Build up to it. You can do this. If you don't know how to pray it, it's simple, guys. Go online. It's so easy to learn. Or follow my episode. As your brother, learn and as a priest, I challenge you to this. And watch what will happen for you. Watch what will happen to you. You'll see your life start to change. The things that you used to want to entertain yourself with, the foul, disgusting, perverse sitcoms and so forth, you will, your soul will be repulsed by these things. The way that your eyes look, the things you're doing to women with your eyes and your intentions and your heart, oh, it's a struggle, for sure. But you will be better. 
you can become a good man. You can become so good that you will be responding to that call to holiness for your family, for your wife, for your children, for your workplace, for your parish, for your country. We need good men today. So, I'm going to pray for you. I know many of my words have been very strong, and you're probably thinking, this dude's nuts. That's cool. I don't care. I'm here to save your soul and to tell you the truth. And I know it can sting. But nobody catches a fish with a dull hook, my friends. Mm -mm. Nope. I put that in you today, the hook. You can fight. You can struggle. That's fine. I'm a fisherman. You can go away from the boat, go deep as you think you want to go. We got lots of line. You ain't going nowhere. This lake is only so big. Mm -hmm. Lots of mercy. Oh, you wore yourself out? Great. Flip over the level, reel you in. You didn't need to fight all these decades, my friend. You need to be praying these decades. You need to be praying this rosary. If you struggle from a particular vice, lust, anger, greed, whatever it may be, take it to the rosary and watch your life be transformed. What woman would not want a man like this? What daughter would not delight in seeing a father on his knees leading the rosary for the family? Every girl's heart longs for this kind of warrior. A man who's sure, strong, and you may lay asphalt in your job during the day. That's great. But you're displaying that strength for those who need your protection and defense in the home. Are you the one taking your family to church? Don't leave it up to your wife. Remember about the Holy Family. Jesus, who's God. Mary, the Immaculata. Joseph, he's the bottom. He's the least holy of them. And yet it was his role to lead the prayers in the family. It was not the role of Jesus. It was not the role of Our Lady. It was his role. And he did it. Knowing that they were better at it. Because I meet a lot of men, they'll say, my wife does it better. Buddy, that's not the point. You're probably right. We men suck. But it's your responsibility as the head of your family to lead in the practice of your faith. Studies have been done. Sociological studies. When it's only the mother, the wife who leads the prayers, there's a very high percentage of those kids when they leave home, they don't continue with the practice of the faith. That was just mom. But when dad does it, exponentially it shoots up. Because there's something there. Something hardwired into us from God. And we need to get back to this. All right. So today, I have bad news. I live in Steubenville, Ohio, but my religious community's headquarters are in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, so right up the road, more or less. They didn't send my books on the rosary, right? But they did send tons of the consecration to St. Joseph, so I'll be signing and selling these books if you want to get one of these. I apologize that they didn't send the correct book, but no worries. Um, you can get, get those as well. So pray the rosary. Get the books. The world, your wife, your children, they need you, brothers. God bless you guys.